for me, it's not worth doing unless we're doing our very best at it. I don't want to be pretty good or doing things that are okay. I want to do things that surprise me, surprise us, and that we get value from. Like my life and graphic design are very intertwined. Whether I want them to be or not, it's just it, right? Like, yeah. and it's rad, frankly, I love it. Hey everybody, welcome to The Creative Rising, a series of conversations on career, courage, and creative leadership. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and today I'm going to sit down with designer, illustrator, and founder of the new company, Matt Luckhurst. And we're going to discuss a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I often ask guests on this show a question towards the end around what scares them as being a creative professional. And there's a wide range of responses, but there is a most common and reoccurring theme to those answers. And it's a theme that I share as well, something that I fear. And that is the fear of irrelevance, the fear of losing touch with what's in vogue, what's in style. And as the world changes, how would you really know if your tastes are old and stuck in the mud? I mean, as a creative leader, you are making a living from having a strong point of view and opinion, making decisions, helping your team move forward, leading clients, speaking with authority. But what happens if that immovable, rock-solid, hard-headed opinion becomes outdated and as old as dirt? Or how do you know when you become the one fording, quote, cute kittens and rainbows 2020 type emails? What about when you become the person that reposts those superstitious posts on Facebook? If you really love America, share with your friends. Or to unlock Facebook's algorithm, share with 10 friends now. Okay, Aunt Betty, I'll get right on that for you. Do you know when you become that person? It's a bit like looking at houses on Zillow or Redfin if you're into that kind of thing. And when you see some outdated cabinets or wallpaper, you think, does that person know how bad that wallpaper looks? Or does that person know how bad that kitchen looks? And at some point, I would assume that we just lose our sense of taste and we become out of touch with style. And that's why I love working with younger designers, free of cynicism of the industry, beautifully naive and fresh with ambition for doing something new. And today, something new and knowing what's next is the topic at hand. And to dig more into what the future might hold, I jumped in a time machine and flew across the continental U.S. from sunny Atlanta to breezy San Fran, of which I landed around the same time as I took off. And I wanted to chat face-to-face with Matt to discuss today's topic. And remember when that was a thing, face-to-face? Seems kind of funny now. This trip happened the week COVID-19 really started to spread in the U.S., which made for some uneasy travel. And ironically, as we were recording this and talking about trends and the speed of change in the design world, we were somewhat unaware of just how fast our worlds were actively changing at that moment as the coronavirus's nasty work had just begun. But enough about that. Let me give you a bit more about Matt's backstory. He grew up on Vancouver Island and studied at Alberta College of Art and Design. He got his master's in graphic design from the School of Visual Arts. 
he had a stint as a design lead at Airbnb, eventually finding his way to Collins, a global brand experience agency, where he became the chief creative officer of the San Francisco office. And eventually he launched out on his own to start the new company. He's led rebrand and campaign work for some of the world's most influential brands like Nike, MailChimp, Dropbox, Ralph Lauren, and more. And I'm excited to talk with him about what's new and what's next. So let's first start with your childhood. Mm -hmm. What was your childhood like? Mm -hmm. Like, were you always into art? No, no. I grew up, you know, kind of in a small town uh, on Vancouver Island called Nanaimo. Uh, Didn't, not much art going on in Nanaimo. Um, And my family was like in logging uh, and lumber. So I didn't really grow up around like a very creative community. Uh, It was more like outdoorsy, I think, than anything else. Yeah. And so how did you how did you first realize that you had a little bit of a creative bent? Yeah, I mean, it was probably, you know, not until high school where I really started to get into it. I was like, you know, I'd go to art classes and try my hand, but I was never very good at it. I wasn't very interested in it um, until I got into graffiti, actually. That was like the first thing mm. I was like, you know, living in a small town in Canada feeling kind of cut off from the world and like graffiti was suddenly this thing that was so cool and vibrant and I like took to that. I was never, never very good at it, but I really got into like drawing my name in sketchbooks and that was honestly like the first time I was like, oh, I really like doing this. I want to do more of it. And that's eventually like what led me to taking it more seriously and trying to be an artist. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I, there's so many people I talk to that that's their story. Like there was this. Yeah, wild. I know graffiti's been around for a, for a long time, but yeah. it was like this. There was this generational moment in time that I feel like a lot of people got into graffiti. Yeah, because I some of my first like lettering. Yeah, was my name in this like cool three D bubble right form where like the the B bled into the L into the A. Like it was all kind of one big blobby thing. It's just like figuring out you can mess with letters. Like I don't know. It's like it was like permission to be creative in a sort of like in a cool way. It felt like focused in a way. Like I could like okay, it's a name, and then just, like, if you mess with an M for long enough, there's, like, a million different ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, that was rad. Yeah, it does seem, like, generational now. It seems like there was really, like, a big moment where, like, a ton of my friends and I, that's what we were into. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, like, you know, you get, I got to design school, and people were like, you're doing, like, a teacher would be like, you're making typography, and I was like, what was that word? You know? <laughs> like, say that, oh, say no that way. again? Yeah. yeah. Typography. I'm, that's s- a thing. I'm sorry, and, sir, madam. There yeah. is no typewriters here. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what you reference. Hell? Yeah, and they're like, you can make money doing that. And I was like, really? All right, let's go. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Have you always been someone that's into, like, what's next or what's new? Like, even in art school, did you feel like you were pushing the envelope there with your work? Maybe not. I mean, in art school, it's hard. I felt so out of place and like so behind everyone else. I was just trying to keep up. I was trying to like learn the skills. I mean, I didn't know. I guess like the through line of that is like I never knew what I was going to do. And I was sort of open to trying stuff and like following the thread that works. So like I started in painting and then I had one design teacher just be like, Matt, like you're doing typography. Like you should try design. I was like, Hmm. wild. Okay. So I got in that stream. But even then I was like more doing illustration rather than design. So it wasn't so much like I was sort of like beyond anybody else. It's just I was like totally open to experimenting and trying with like different things and sort of interested in all the facets of Hmm. creativity that I could get my hands on. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I remember in design school, I had no clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, mm-hmm. no student does. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Yeah, it's wild. But I remember just like trying to find things that I thought were cool, and yeah. then I would just mimic it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was really into wakeboarding, so right. any any like wakeboarding <laughs> publication, yeah, yeah. If it had like weird little spray dots everywhere, yep. like yep. that's my next project. What I would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd snowboarding, right? Like snowboard culture. I was all about it. Like snowboard graphics. And yeah. That kind of world. And then like, yeah, I mean, all of my stuff was like a bad interpretation of graffiti and uh, maybe like Juxtapose magazine at the time, right? That was kind of like the world (laughs) I was around. I was doing all these like bad paintings. I mean, they were great at the time. And like, it's awesome. I had like so much support. Like this was back in Calgary, Alberta. And it was awesome. I got so much support from the community to do it. And I got really like... I got confident enough to keep trying stuff and keep mm. experimenting with it, which was rad. Uh, but yeah, looking back, man, it's wild. Like, I don't know, aesthetics change. And school, I think it's like, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. It's just it, the biggest thing is that's kind of a good thing. And to like just try a bunch of different shit yeah. and not get stuck into like this is the right thing to do or this is the right way to do it. Yeah. It's the one thing I, I think I like miss about school is like I didn't know the rules, so it didn't really matter that much. Yeah, there's more freedom in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's jump into just more of your more recent career and professional career. So you were at Airbnb in 2014. Yeah. When they rebranded. Yeah. And you were around for that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that That's was, awesome. you know, for those that are in the branding world, that was a little bit of a controversial launch. There's, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of feedback on yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of noise. It looking phallic. Or like every possible sexual, like object right right yeah, it was it, it resembled a lot of things it's, it's an abstract form or shape so you can read into it what you want but a <laughs> lot of right. people reading into it <laughs> yeah either some sort of sexual symbol yeah well but beyond that like what was that whole process like and what yeah. did you learn it's wild it's awesome i learned so much through that so design studio was the agency they brought in to do that and i was like you know a senior designer like design lead around that time and i worked on uh this like website where you could customize it and there's this the cool thing was getting to see it from inside of an agency. And I think the way Airbnb treated it was so fresh to me from anything else I'd seen. It was so collaborative. It was like, you know, the people from Design Studio were like living inside Airbnb essentially. And it yeah. was this process that like, I don't know if it's the right process all the time, but I know for that project, like it was dead right. Hmm. Um, and like the founders are rad, like Brian um, and Joe were great and totally understood like how they could like help push it, but also like step back and let people sort of do their job. Um, And then people like Jonathan Mendenhall, who is the CMO came in and helped drive like the community angle and just like different people stepping up and building that full picture that, Mm. you know, the launch was crazy. The launch was wild. Like the process leading up to there felt very professional. And like we took our time and we made sure everything was ready to go. And there was a launch plan. And then suddenly your best laid plans (laughs) land on the internet and people are like, yeah, that's boobs. Like, Come on, man. Um, So it was wild to see. And like it was a crazy few couple hours when that thing went live like we didn't see it coming like there'd been testing done too like i wasn't doing the testing but i'd seen it and it was uh you know there were it came up that might be like in some way sexual like Mm. 0.02 percent of respondents or something like it just wasn't part of it but of course the internet one person on the internet decides and that's funny oh yeah it moves what was cool is that I think like with any rebrand where you've had those moments where the internet sort of 
goes at it, and then you have one of two ways of responding. You can be like, our bad, take it down, or you can be like, no, here's the meaning, here's why we love it, and it works. And so, you know, Brian and Joe, to their credit, like stood behind it, were like, no, this is our logo. Like, you guys can make fun of it if you want, but here's what it means, and sort of went with it. And then, of course, you saw the backlash to that criticism, which, and then suddenly all these people came out and were like, no, this is a great identity, da, da, da. And yeah. now, like, nobody talks about that, yeah. right? Yeah, So it's like, if you know you've done the right thing, you just need to stand behind that work, right? And sort of ride it out. Um, That's right. And yeah. As opposed to JCPenney or Gap, around the same time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It would, like, JCPenney, they had a new logo, like, every two weeks. Yeah, I don't think they took the same time and consideration. No. It, well, and, and, you know, a lot of times it's like, Okay, JC Penny, you just need to fix your business. That's right. More than the logo. Did like whatever logo, logo you had was probably fine. fine. That probably wasn't the problem. Couldn't agree more. Same with Gap, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, no, but, and there was like, you know, to Design Studios credit and everyone there, like they did a great job of packing that thing with meaning. And they mm-hmm. were like, you know, it wasn't just like an aesthetic update. There was a lot of stuff yeah. with that company and like the shift in terms of the product and everything at that time worked really well. So I think like, if you have the rigor behind it and the right rationale, you can do that and you can like sort of overcome those challenges. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's so good. It was also like really fun. We also thought it was funny. Yeah. We agreed. Like yeah. it was hilarious. It was like terrifying. Cause we're like, what do we do now? But just, it was, was there a fear that the, the work would be sort of pulled back? <sighs> kind of like, I mean, it ran through I'm sure my there head. were murmurs of it yeah. or thoughts. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, what are we going to do? Like, how do you respond to this? Yeah. Like, we didn't have a plan for this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that part's kind of wild. I'm sure there were a bunch of conversations above my pay grade to figure that out. But it was uh, it was cool. It was great how it, like, you know, how it's concluded itself from yeah. that moment. And it still prevails. Yeah. It's yeah, still yeah. good work. Yeah, it's rad. So you've worked with some big brands, like, mm-hmm. like Airbnb and, mm-hmm. and others. Is there a project, though, that you feel like has been the most rewarding or one that you're really proud of? Yeah, I mean, it's easily, there's a lot of great projects. I shouldn't be so like cavalier in that statement, but uh, the Just Do It work that we did for Nike, the first four films we made was like the biggest thing for me Mm -hmm. because for a lot of reasons, it launched the new company. It also was like a drastic shift away from the work that I'd previously like been known to do, which Mm -hmm. was primarily around branding and using graphic languages to, you know, express brand identity. Um, And the Just Do It work was a shift away from that. They used like the same thinking, the same strategic insights, but really took it to like creating stories and video. And I think like both the people we got to meet doing that were wild and like Mm -hmm. getting to tell these stories of these amazing kids across the country that were like, you know, fundamentally changing their communities. And I think, you know, showcasing a new um, side of what's happening in America at that point in time through sport was like, is amazing. Um, and just being able to like put that out in the world, I thought it was like really meaningful work. I thought it was beautiful work. And for us, it was like such a great opportunity and to be part of just do it. Um, and sort of be able to create this editorial style of content with no celebrities was just very different. And I think it was like a great showcase of a lot of hard work of this team and thinking and strategy that's been building up for years. That's awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned this a little bit, but let's let's talk about trends in general, macro trends. <laughs> yeah. And when you were at Collins, you worked on the Dropbox rebrand. That's right. Yeah. And one thing that's funny from my perspective is mm-hmm. like when that work launched, yeah. the color palette yeah. in that brand identity, yeah. it like slowly trickled down into every graphic designer's color palette. <laughs> like I would yeah. see it pop up on screens all around our office. Yeah. And it totally set a trend. Yeah. Like it set a trend in motion and people started to mimic it and respond to it. Yeah. 
how do you push yourself to do something really different or something really <laughs> radical and to not just get swept up in that, that trickle effect of, of trends? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the job is understanding where trends are at. And you're always, the trick is you're kind of always on trend if you're doing good work. It's just how far along that spectrum you are. Because yeah. if you're too far, nobody's going to like it. It's going to yeah. look wildly different. Yeah. And like nobody, you know, the client, we've had tons of work shut down because it's like we've just pushed off into like oblivion. And it's mm-hmm. like, guys, what is this? This doesn't yeah. make any sense. But it's sort of understanding, okay, like we could see like, part of that color palette was emerging. Like we saw it sort of happening, but I think we were early onto it. And, you know, part of it too is like when you're working at scale, you're sort of the first one showcasing an emerging trend potentially. Mm, so yeah. we knew that with Dropbox and we, because we were pointing at the creative community, it made a lot of sense. So we were like eyes wide open in terms of like, this is going to be very much on trend, we believe, yeah. in terms of where everyone's at the aesthetics heading. Um, but that's a good thing. Like, let's not shy away from that. Let's own that and really push in. And I think when it came out, you know, it's funny, the online discourse around it was so like, I hate this. Like, this isn't what Dropbox is supposed to look like. And we're like, what? We're like, what are these people talking the about? And then other people being like, like design Twitter just being like, we always complain about the other side of this and things aren't like fresh enough. And now we're complaining about when they are oh, like yeah. pushing, right? Yeah. So it's just funny to see, but... Um, yeah, like sometimes I think you got to be aware of how you're using trend, like whether you're on it or not. I think it's being have, especially as a creative director, you have to be able to stand back and assess that work and sort of know where you're landing. And you're sometimes going to be right on trend. Sometimes you'll be more like pulling from historic stuff. And sometimes you'll be right on the edge. It's just, you know, you got to understand why you're doing it and the tension intentionality behind that. And, and a creative director has a unique perspective to often see multiple designs happening at one time on their That's team, right. yeah. where a designer, design lead, senior designer, I mean, they need to, to understand the landscape of trends, but they're also so focused on their set of projects yeah. that they might not see what the rest of the team is doing on any given day. But a creative yeah. director can walk in and, and I've always found it a little bit easier. I can see like, oh man, this Dropbox <laughs> Golden Palette has consumed all, yeah, yeah. all of our design solutions and we need to break <laughs> out of that somehow. Or yeah. even the MailChimp illustration. You know, I feel like sure. some of the illustrations that were created in that work mm-hmm. that you were involved in mm-hmm. um, also set a little bit of a, you know, it was like this surreal, elongated <laughs> yeah. forms, kind of yeah, out yeah. there, crazy illustration style. And yeah. I feel like I've seen that even be reciprocated from the design community. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's cool to see the stuff you do sort of like move into people's mood boards and like, you know, I get that comment a lot. Like, oh, I know your stuff. It was on my wall the other day. <laughs> That's rad. That's like really complimentary, I think, when people are like referencing your work. Um, but I think when we do work like that, like, you know, with MailChimp, it just made a ton of sense. I mean, it all came from the strategy we started with, right? And trying to figure out what's right for this company. Um, not sort of being like, you know, what's a cool aesthetic, but building yeah. from an idea out. And then that just like naturally arose from this like very funky company that we met in Atlanta uh, with super talented people in it that wasn't behaving like any other company we'd met. Um, and so finding that unique voice made a ton of sense mm. with just like the culture that we found at that company. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. great. So you mentioned this a little bit, but it is easy to to fall into the trap of trends. Mm-hmm. But you also have to be sort of in vogue with your design work, right? 100%. Like you, you, yeah. you can't be too dated and you can't be too progressive. I was kind of interested in in the tension between being too progressive yep. and, and being 
basically a late adopter of a trend. Yeah. You know, like finding the the right balance in that. I think it's good. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're the, you're in trouble if you're too late. Yeah. Because you'll look out of touch and out of step with what's happening. Yeah. You can go further back and be sort of like pull something out of history. You can be sort of on the vanguard of it, but that's challenging because you got to be the right client. And you got to be the right kind of company yeah. and the right kind of client to be able to do that. I mean, like we are, we try to tell clients when they start, before we start working together, like we, that's our aim. Our goal as a company is to push out further mm. than maybe some other agencies do. That doesn't mean we're going to fit every client, right? Like that doesn't work for everybody. And I think that's cool. That's sort of like, we're an agency of like 12 people. We're not going to fit every single client. Right. Um, and I think understanding that, you know, it's, it's so much about that relationship between the people who are the client side and the people who are on the agency side, making sure there's a good fit and everybody understands the um, expectation behind where we're going to go push this work to. Yeah. So, so much of it comes down to that and just being smart about, you know, is it right for the brand and yeah. the people you're working with? Yeah. I've got a little spiel that I do with clients a lot of times mm-hmm. at, at the beginning of of a presentation that's kind of like priming them <laughs> mm-hmm. for the fact that we're, our job is to push right. to sort of <laughs> yeah. the edges of what's familiar. Yep. And one t- and I, I gave this speech and one time I had a client say, oh yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. We're, we're supposed to be uncomfortable uh-huh. but for all the right reasons. And I always <laughs> like that quote. I'm like, yeah, that that's right. We are trying to get uncomfortable yeah, yeah. for all the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. Because your brand needs to stand out. And if it doesn't, you're just going to be invisible. It's just too competitive these days. And so right. I always like that little soundbite of like, you got to get uncomfortable, but for all the right reasons. And if you can yeah. find clients that buy into that and understand the value of it, mm-hmm. then that makes the work a lot better. Yeah, yeah, but you have to want the change. It has to be like fundamental. It can't just be like you're painting, painting the house. Right. Hey everyone, while we're taking this little break, I have a recent riser review that I wanted to share from a wannabe creative underscore NG. He says, quote, Blake and his network of creative peeps are so impressive. When I'm listening, I'm like, I feel like I should be paying for this kind of wisdom. Also, good news is you don't have to be an uber creative to enjoy this podcast. I am moderately creative at best, and I know how applicable it is. End quote. Thank you, want to be creative. I bet you're more creative than you give yourself credit for, but I appreciate the review. And you all know the drill for podcasts. Reviews are like our tip jar. So throw me a fiver in that tip jar and leave me a review. It really does help more people find this show. And maybe I'll read yours on the next episode. And also, while I have your attention, I want to give a big shout out to Matchstick, the brand identity house of the South. They build radically relevant brands for organizations facing significant change. If you need help clarifying your message or standing out in the market, be sure to check them out. You can go to matchstick.com. That's M-A-T-C-H-S-T-I-C.com. All right, back to the show. Let's switch gears a little bit and and talk about what's next. I mean, trends mm-hmm. certainly are an indicator of like what's currently in vogue. But what about beyond the known? Like, yeah, w- where do you feel like right now brands are headed, and what do you think is next? It's funny. There's um, 
Trends are weird right now. I think Instagram, like the availability of design has changed how trends work. Like we can look at Instagram at any given moment and see like a million pieces of design. And there's mm. like five trends happening at any given time, I yeah. think, if you want to analyze it. But the way brands behave and the sort of like you see what designers are doing and what designers are reacting to, you see that sort of trickle down into brands over a period of time. It doesn't happen immediately, right? There's yeah. a few brands that'll take a risk, make something that pushes the aesthetic out, and then suddenly it becomes more commonplace. Yeah. Um, what I'm seeing online right now, like from young kids and stuff, I think is rad. Like it's a little bit darker. Mm. Um, I think this might not make sense, but I can, my head always goes here. It's like, <clears throat> it's sort of like the state of the world influences a little bit. I think, you know, not that all designers think the same, but there tends to be a sort of like amongst us, a sensibility of what's happening. And I think with like Obama's era, it's all about hope and optimism and things were kind of like, design was kind of soft, right? Mm. Like design was very welcoming. Yeah, It was like... Nice sans serifs, you know, the vector illustrations. Things were like, they were nice. The color palettes were not discursive in any way. Uh, like Obey was super popular, yeah. right? Like that was like even, cool, even though, that was like, cool oh, street art. <laughs> yeah, even though that tone's like super rebellious, a lot of the art and the color actually was much more hopeful and bright. I think in hindsight, like if yeah. we look at that work against the other work, that era actually felt very like hopeful and like accessible. Yeah. Um, I think as that time went on, like technology rose up. And I think that we responded to that through more handmade elements. And suddenly you saw like more textures come into things um, and sort of trying to get back to this human, more humane space, maybe. What I'm seeing now, I think, is like kind of an embrace of technology and utilizing it in ways that feel sort of um, ironic or purposely wrong or sort of like, you know, distortion, but in like new ways where it's not mm -hmm. like about eligibility it's about sort of exploration of what's right and what aesthetics should look like mm. uh kind of reminds me of like david carson's work like i see that yeah. starting to come up more which i think is rad but there's like a darker edge to it i think too like i'm seeing you know there's a lot of chrome right now but i think if you look beyond just like that chrome thing it's like you know that embrace of a very digital looking metallic uh, surface mm. on top of like a distorted serif. So there's this sort of like formality happening that we're also breaking this combination of uh, formality and distortion that's happening at the same yeah, time. I love that. Which is rad. And like, I can't believe what kids are doing right now in design. I think it's like, I think it's incredible. I think we're in a, like an amazing time for design. I don't know how it goes to brands yet. Yeah. Right? Like I don't think that trends moving that way yet, but I think you can see, you'll see parts of it start to emerge over the next few years. Yeah. yeah. It's also interesting to me to see larger trends, like just for normal consumers or, you know, you and I outside of our, our day jobs of how like video, for instance, mm -hmm. like it is kind of an old thing to say this at this point, but like video has become everything. Yeah, for like, sure. Like all the time, all you do is watch Instagram TV yeah. almost. 100%. Like, like Why not? A, a static grid posts. I don't even look at those anymore. I just do like an Instagram TV or story. You like press on it and, like and just keep going. Why is it not moving? <laughs> this image, this video is just staying still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, you know, we started the new company because we wanted to get ahead of that stuff too. We, th I mean, my thesis is that, you know, I love graphic design, but the realms of photography and video, motion and writing don't need to not be part of design. You know, they sort of get pushed into marketing. But mm -hmm. I'm like, why can't we use all the thinking and the knowledge we have and the aesthetic taste we have to inform those mediums as well? Right. So like really trying to think about design is not just like 
graphic solutions. That's one piece of it, absolutely. There's a big part of it that I love, but I love telling a story through video too. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, my passion is how we start to merge those things together, not sort of say, this is your sandbox, you have to play in it. Yeah. You know, why? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And a big part of, um, sometimes when you see like a graphic solution in a, in a full rebrand, because yep. since that's the space that I live in, mm-hmm. you, you see only graphic solutions Mm -hmm. even though when when the client implements that work they're going to be choosing imagery yeah they're going to be producing videos yeah yeah. so if you actually don't solve it more in that design phase they're going to solve it some way yeah well thinking about the whole thing holistically like even if you are just doing graphics yeah you need to be considerate of all those elements yeah and i think like a bunch of me and my friends like we always be like we made this great design system. And then this other company got to make the super fun video after. I'm like, I want to make the fun video. We just spent like six months killing ourselves on like strategy and figuring out like the exact kerning and all these like detailed elements. And somebody else goes, gets to go make this like super fun expressive thing off the backs of our work. Like, come on. Did you hear the music in their video? They got to use music, man. Yeah. Man, I, I one time saw some branding work presented via like a sizzle reel. That's what I uh, calls it. I don't yeah, know yeah. if that's right or not. But, <laughs> yep, it, but yep. it was just like a word. Word mark. Yep. But it was like boom, boom, this is so much boom, better. boom, yeah. and then yeah. thing, motion came, and you're oh, like, yeah. "This is amazing! I yeah. want to, I want that." Yeah, yeah. It's like a surfboard or something. <laughs> like, I want that surfboard. It could be a terrible logo, but if you add the right music <laughs> yeah. to it, I mean, it's right. It's true. If, if you take the Inception music for yep. that trailer, yep. and mm-hmm. you put. Any logo. Any logo. Any. I'd encourage anybody who listens to this podcast to uh, send this in. Uh, any logo plus Inception music. And yeah. you will sell products. You're going to sell it. Yeah. That's um, all you need. The, uh, no, we were saying the other day too, like design is like very unforgiving. It's very difficult because you don't have a lot to work with, right? Like you don't activate any other senses. You're just trying to convey something like incredible and compelling and new through a set of graphic solutions on a page, essentially. I right. Know there's more to yeah. it. But, you know, when you start adding motion to it, now you can tell a narrative through it. And then you add sound and now it's like emotional. And right. I think what we found is like it's nice to be able to express ourselves through video and these other spaces where you can utilize other skills and collaborate with more people too, not just work with like, you know, people who design, but like work with choreographers and mm. work with uh, composers and DPs and like yeah. all these great people. And like, you really get to leverage the talent of like very different people to create something, which yeah. has been really rewarding for yeah. us. Yeah. I've always loved working in parallel fields or learning from people like that. Yeah, for sure. Even just like working with a musician to score a custom yeah. track oh, is so best. much fun. It's the best. Yeah. Or uh, interior design. Like I'm actually the worst interior design client ever. <laughs> Because I feel like I know, like I have an opinion. You know enough to be dangerous, yeah. But but <laughs> I can't actually go buy things and assemble them and make them all work well. Right. But I think I should know how. Right. And I have an opinion, so I'm the worst client. Yeah. With that, it's good. You know, you know your you know your limitations. Yeah. That's okay. And if my wife is listening, she's shaking her head right yeah, now, yeah, yeah. saying she's yes. Like, I agree. Yes. Yeah, so we have home projects that. Don't go smooth. My wife hang, hand, My wife is an excellent interior decorator, so I let her handle that. <laughs> I just get out of the way, man. Yeah, that's that's wisdom. Yeah. All right. So others that are listening that are thinking about like, how do I keep myself, my work fresh, new? What tips would you give them? Yeah, I mean, okay. My biggest thing is stay in your sketchbook. 
stay in messy artboards on Illustrator. Just keep trying shit. Like try different techniques, try different filters, try different programs. I think, I mean, I was telling you a little bit of this before we got started, but like, you know, I did a bunch of conferences last year and I see a lot of kids going to conferences a lot looking for inspiration. Everyone asks you, where do you get inspiration from? I don't think you need so much inspiration. There's tons of inspiration. Oh my God. Like open up Instagram for 10 seconds. There's like 1 million ideas. Yeah. It's like overload. Yeah. Yeah. Like if anything, like, you know, find things that interest you to inspire you to do something or try something outside of what you would naturally go do, but then like work it. Like don't just like try something or look at something. Like I think you really learn through doing and getting your hands dirty. And that's certainly been my approach through like everything in my career is just trying. Even if I'm not good at it, you just like give it a shot. Keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to keep a pretty good library around. Like I do invest in older books and trying to look for inspiration that isn't online, particularly with my team, just to like not the problem right now is you can really easily fall in the trap of looking at the same inspiration as everyone else. Yeah. And I think if you can, you know, find things that are you know, either a personal interest to you, like drawing inspiration from wakeboarding or snowboarding or a place that's not just purely graphic design, I think is really valuable. And then being able to go back in time and design too and understanding, you know, where these trends come from, not just like referencing the trend, but try to go back behind that trend because that's been referenced probably five times over from something made in the 40s, right? Right. So the more you can do that, I think the more you can find a novel solution for yourself. But I don't think inspiration matters much if you don't take the time to really like push a solution and put the rigor into the work and the experimentation um, to go with it. Yeah. Inspiration, you can't really just microwave. Nobody, we we kind of yeah. live in a microwave culture, you know, yeah, right. like the instant culture. Yeah. But so much of inspiration, I think, is more lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's more crockpot. Like it takes a long time. But then once once you invest and you put in that hard work, it's much sweeter. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few people I've met who are just like, you know, savants and incredibly talented, natural people who can look at something and then like, you know, master it really mm. quickly. I'm not one of those people. Most people I know aren't those people. Yeah. So it is more about like experimentation and taking time. I mean, the other thing is I'd say start, uh, you know, start your own company, fill it with a bunch of amazing, talented people and they'll inspire you too. That's how I did it. Very easy to do, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, I mean, it's true. Like, just like working here is rad, right? Like, yeah. I'm around all these people that are like, wildly talented and from all, from all, you know, different parts of the globe that come with their own sort of inspiration and view of the world. So you pick up a lot just from, like, coworkers and being around people that are uh, super talented. Like, yeah. that's, that's one of the biggest things. Yeah, totally agree. I've been defining courage as the ability to reject indifference in our work and in those that we work with mm-hmm. as creatives. So for you as as a as a business owner as a creative director yeah what does rejecting indifference look like to you i mean i probably need to accept a little more indifference i'm a little like a little bit of a driven human being and i kind of force everyone around me to also do that i think for me it's not worth doing unless we're doing our very best at it. Hmm. And I think like, as we started this company, like I want to be, I want to create a company that's really exceptional and I want to work with exceptional people. I don't want to be pretty good or doing things that are okay. I want to do things that surprise me, surprise us and that we get value from. Like my life and graphic design are very intertwined. Whether Hmm. I want to be or not, it's just it, right? Like 
And it's rad, frankly. I love it. But, you know, my work is a really big part of who I am and what I do. So if I'm going to do that, like I really want to push and I want to push everyone around us to do to do the best work of their careers. And I like unabashedly say that. I mean, it sounds a little cocky. I'm like, but when people come work here, I'm like, you should do the best work of your career here. Like, and I'll be shocked if you don't. Mm. Um, we try to keep that culture. And I think everybody carries that who works here because it's like, that's, that's what makes it fun. Now, sometimes that can be a uh, hindrance too. Uh, I can be somewhat difficult to work with at times because I am very demanding, uh, but I demand a lot of myself. And I think the people around me for a reason. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's why, you know, a certain kind of person works really well working here. And like some people don't, it doesn't mean they're not good designers. It's just like, it's an attitude. I think with us, it's just, yeah, you got to care about what you do. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I don't know. It's not a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Are there any examples you can think of where you, you thought, man, I'm not going to be able to do this fully. So I'm not going to hmm. do it. Yeah. I, um, I don't know if I have a good example. I have a cop-out answer. Like I turned down a ton of work because I'm like, I don't know if this is set up to do good work. Yeah. Um, is it usually, what are some of the factors with that? Like timing? Timing, money, people, people involved. Client, yeah. you know, you know, a bad client, uh, you know, can arise from a lot of issues. But like we try to, you know, we're not a value-based company. We don't just work on things that like do good in the world, but there's a line. Right. Yeah. Like there's certain companies we don't want to touch. Yeah. Um, there's uh, certain cultures I think we just don't fit. Right. That are mm. too corporate or um, used to working a certain way that we try to avoid. And then, like, honestly, the truth is that there is a time and money equation to do good work. Yeah. <laughs> For us. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so we try to make sure that the uh, those factors are there before we begin something. Because honestly, like, especially like as a small company, one of the biggest biggest fears that I have is just like doing bad work mm. and being defined by that. Right. Like we sort of have this small window as we've created this company to make work that I think will define uh, who we are and our brand in people's minds. So we have to really make sure that we're, we're doing work for the right reasons right now. Mm. And that's why we're also not scaling. You know, we're not saying yes to everything and trying to hire a bunch of people. It's right. like, let's be smart right now. Like if we want to do that in the future, cool, let's do it. But, you know, we don't have that luxury right now. We have to be tight. We have to do work that we, yeah. we love. Do you think that fear of producing work that you're not proud of yeah. has increased now that you are yeah. the owner? Like at, at yeah. previous places, yeah. maybe your name's associated with it, but like mm -hmm. the whole firm's brand is associated with it. So you don't carry that weight as much. But now this is like your baby. Yeah. I felt it at Collins. Like I felt like a sense of ownership of that place for sure. So I definitely, and I, you know, I wanted to, that, that agency had done so much good work and like, I'd certainly contributed to a lot of it, but it was like, I wanted to prove that, you know, our spot in San Francisco could do that. Mm. I think, um, I did feel that pressure there, but this is different. Like I call this, I think this is my last job, right? Mm. Like this is my, which is amazing. I'm like 38 and working in my last job. That's, that's fun to think about, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I want this to work. Like, I really want this to work. So I really am scared of doing work that I think is irrelevant or misses the mark. Or I frankly just don't like. Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me. That's probably the thing that keeps me up and the thing that I'm like most cognizant of. Um, uh, it's just like, yeah, nothing goes out the door that we're, we don't think is uh, our best uh, our best foot forward. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk more about the ambition part that you mentioned mm -hmm. because 
I resonate a lot with that, mm-hmm. but I also re- resonate with being a little bit of a people pleaser. Mm. Like, like I'm, I'm kind of both. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very driven, and I want our work to be amazing. Yeah, but I also have a a, a high degree of need for people to like me. Yeah, you sound and, like a better person than me. But well, <laughs> maybe I don't know. <laughs> I'm just you know there there's there's a difficult balance for me in that. Right? Have you felt that? Like, have you felt the you know, the cost of drive 100%. because, it, because the way it's manifested is, Hey, I know it's late and I know this presentation's <laughs> tomorrow, Yeah, but I'm really not feeling this or, you know, that right, that's right. like the tangible yeah. ways it comes to life for people on your team. I would, I would assume. Yeah. I'm much sharper than I'm very direct with feedback and like to a detriment, I think like mm-hmm. I definitely have burnt some people out before. And I think certain pers- people, you know, personality wise, just don't get along. I mean, I bring, I really, really believe in doing our best work. And I like, at times probably have stepped over that line, just Mm. trying to like push and create something that I think is exceptional. Um, But you're always cognizant of like where that balance is. And I think, I think, you know, if you have the right culture and mindset, then it's not like, I'm not, out trying to offend anybody, but it's just being like very honest with ourselves. So sometimes yeah. I do bad work. Some like I, I don't, I'll readily call it out. Yeah. Um, but it's just checking ourselves because I think it's it's really difficult to do good design work, uh, yeah. and it does require a certain sort of uh, uh, degree of challenge to get there. And at times, like you really need to step back and be honest with like, Hey, have we hit the mark here? Like, Mm. you know, we feel just cause one person feels good about it. Doesn't mean that it's like we've solved the problem. Yeah. Um, so you got to push hard. I also like, I really look at design as a blue collar job and I don't think everyone does. Like I look at it as like, we got coming, you got to work hard to do this. Well, uh, you know, it's not, it obviously has white collar elements to it and being yeah. able to like sell an idea and like conceptualize a strategy behind something's incredibly important without the rigor and hard work behind it. I don't think you sort of get to the same level. Yeah. Um, so I, I sort of bring that attitude. Yeah. I like day. that. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of friction around pushing into what's new or what's next, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like to be on the fringes, yeah. you're going to hit some sort of friction. If, if you're trying to blaze, yeah. you know, a metaphorical new trail through the, through the woods, yep. there's, it's not going to be easy. It's no. going to be difficult. And I don't want it to be. I'm good with that, right? Yeah. And I think it's just making sure that we're all good with that and we all are on the same page and we're creating a culture that's a positive one yeah, uh, and a fun one to work in, but also one that you know you're going to push yourself to do the best work. Mm. I don't see a problem. I think that's great. Yeah, That's where I want to work. Yeah, That's why we're trying to create this. But yeah, when we're trying to create like a just do it video or like some of the bigger campaigns we've been doing, I mean, it's not without challenge, right? Like yeah. You're playing on a really high, uh, at a high level. Um, and that comes with a certain sort of uh, discipline, I think, to like doing your best work and really pushing yourself, like everybody pushing yourself yeah. to do the best you can. Well, for, for agencies, if, if you're really hard internally on the work, uh-huh. a lot of times the clients won't be as hard. Yeah. But, but if you're not that hard internally, you're, you're probably going to face like some difficult conversations more on the client side at some point. And I would imagine yeah. in in-house is the same way that if, yeah, if a little yep. micro team isn't really, editing the work, shooting holes in the work, being difficult on the work, someone somewhere is going to do that exact same thing. Like it's part of the process to some degree. Yeah. I think you end up, uh, 
I think you just run a higher, there's a higher likelihood that your hard work and your wild ideas won't get through if you haven't put that rigor into it, right? Like if you show up to a client just being like, this is different, it's not going to work, right? <laughs> you know, like nobody wants that. You have to prove it. And to prove yeah. it, you have to be smart. You have to have the right strategy behind it, the right thinking, make sure it fits their client, their audience and everything else. And then you need to follow through with that, like the, the, the quality of design work. Um, to make it come to life and make it feel immediate. I don't think like you get a lot of shots in design, right? Like when you show something, you got to make sure like you've buttoned it up. Mm. People usually aren't like, you're not going to go back and sort of be like, well, if we change everything, like that's fine. Uh, I think you need to inspire people when you show your work and you got to be able to push that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about, what are your thoughts on internal collaboration as yeah. it relates to what you just said? Because I found there's, there's two types of designers sometimes that I've worked with one that loves to sort of like hoard their artboard <laughs> and hoard the work until it's just perfect. And then they print and they pin it up and yep. then they'll invite feedback. And then there are others that are more open-handed. They're like, yeah, I've put 30 minutes into this. It's yeah, terrible, yeah. but I just need some help or some thoughts. Like, Hey, what do you think about these 12 options? You know, there's like the wide and the narrow type of yeah. designer working collaboratively. We definitely, I mean, everybody works on every project here is what I say. It's not always true, but it pretty much is. Uh, everybody touches everything. And there, I really encourage a lot of dialogue. I think people talk a lot and we're always like looking over each other's shoulders. People will work, take somebody's file and work on it. Mm. I think you have to be open to it. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way. Like having all of these talented people is how we come up with great work. It's not like one person yeah. that can do a better job. Sometimes somebody will run with a project and just hit it and it'll be amazing and that's great. But there's, uh, I think there's a lot of value to a team that's like, you know, pushing each other and, you know, finding something somebody's done and seeing value in it that maybe they didn't see and pushing that forward. So, you know, I think we really, I love personally when we have the whole team like jamming on something and working together to solve it. I think that's like where the best work comes yeah. from. Yeah. I love anytime that if we get an award and there's like 15 names. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I or, mean, our credits hard. on our work is, are usually absurd. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, everyone's or or you're like, who, well, who was uh, whose logo was this originally? Like, ah. like I love when <laughs> yeah, that yeah, happens. Yeah. That's a good yeah, sign. That's right. Yeah. All right. So what what would your halftime speech be to inspire the creative community? Like, what do you feel like they need to hear right now? There's a lot of noise in the world. There's a lot of different ways you can take design. I think like I see young designers doing incredible work right now. I think it's just like we need to keep expanding the purview of design, right? And keep building sort of like uh, what design is like make a video, make motion, make music, like just make stuff. I think that's like, that's the biggest thing for me. I think there's been this like, you know, domain of you're allowed to play with these things if you're a designer, but all the tools are available to us. And I think, you know, a great designer is somebody that can think through a creative solution that's really novel, no matter what it is. So sort of taking the brakes off and being like, you know, one day you can make some shapes or draw some pictures and the next day you can pick up a camera and that's cool too. Um, and I think that's sort of the next, for me, like what I'm looking for when I'm looking for young designers right now, I'm looking for people that want to be a designer and an art director and an illustrator and a motion you know, designer and are nuts enough to think they can do all of it because I think they can. Yeah. Uh, I think you just got to believe that's what you want to do. Um, and then finding, yeah, I mean, for, for those people, it's just like you open up so many doors in terms of what you can go make. And I think 
I think you really benefit from working all those different ways because I think you see creativity in a very different light than when you're just working in a single sort of silo yeah. space. Yeah, that's great. I love it. Yeah. All right, Matt, thanks for your time. Thanks for- Thank you. Thanks for your work. Thanks for yeah, pushing into what's new and what's next. <laughs> thanks for your time here and uh, thanks for hosting me. Thank you, man. No, this was great. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that was entertaining. <laughs> Okay, that's a wrap for today's show. Be sure to check out more on Matt and his new company at new.company. That's it, new.company is the URL. Or on Instagram at the new company. Next time on The Creative Rising, we're gonna talk to Jeff and Andre Schinnebarger, the hosts and creators of the podcast Love or Work and an overall power couple. Andre is on the front lines fighting against COVID-19 as a physician's assistant. And Jeff is the founder of Plywood People, a nonprofit in Atlanta that leads a community of startups doing good. And we're going to discuss if it is possible to change the world, stay in love and have a healthy family all at the same time. There is a seemingly frail balance of love and work, and we're going to talk about it. So be sure to join us next time on The Creative Rising.